0: we haven't met I'm Robbie Itterberg I'm another pastor here and it's been subtle this evening so I just I'm going to point it out again we're in the red letter challenge And so if you hadn't picked that up, then let me be the first to let you know that that's happening. And if you have no idea what that means because you're new with us, then let me just give you a really brief introduction. The red letters have to do with the words of Jesus. In some versions, English versions of the Bible, in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the words of Jesus are printed in red so that they can pop off the page or the app if you read in an app like I do. And it's so that we can see them clearly, we can lean into them, and really that's what this challenge is about, is to hear from Jesus every day, and then to try our best to, to do what he says, to obey him, to put it into practice. And as we obey him, we're, tr- we're trusting that he knows what's best for us, and so obeying him is going to lead to life that is, is thriving and flourishing. And if you haven't ever tried testing Jesus's words, putting them into practice, seeing if he actually knows what he's talking about, maybe this is a great time to just give it a try. And if if you've tried before, and this is a part of your ongoing relationship with him, then our obedience is about trusting him, but it's also an expression of our love for him because he loves us. And so this, this is not all about us trying to get him to love us because we're obedient, but it's about loving him through our obedience because he already loves us more than we can really even imagine. And so, each day of this challenge, there's a book that's been guiding us along that has the daily reading. It also has a a challenge starting this morning. If you've been following along with us, we started day one was Monday, and so this morning we had our very first challenge, and so it's still early, and you you got a few hours left, so if you haven't done it, you still can do it today. If you don't have a book and you want that, that we have a few available. We were able to get in a few more, uh, and they're available in the Welcome Center for $20. If cost is prohibitive for you, we just want to give you one because we want everybody to be able to do this if you want to. And so over the next weeks uh, of this challenge, there's five themes that begin to emerge that we're going to lean into. Five themes from the teaching of Jesus. One is being, next is forgiving, and then serving, and then giving and going. Those are the five themes, and so the message each week is going to address one of those themes, and then throughout the week, you're going to have readings around that and then challenges related to that particular theme. And so tonight, we're going to begin with the theme of being, as in we're human beings, not human doings, right? And that's an important distinction, you may have heard that before, totally not original and totally kind of corny, but really important for us as we go into this challenge, when so much of the emphasis is on doing, obeying, putting it into practice, we want to remember that we are grounded first in who we are, not what we do. And that's, that's what this whole, this whole week, this whole theme is about. When I was in college, I went on a, a road trip. A buddy of mine and I decided we were going to go to California. I may have told this story before. We left on a Thursday uh, after classes were done, and we drove, you know, the 1,300 miles or so to Southern California. We had some folks that we were meeting there, and you know, ended up hanging out for a little while and hang out, hung out late. We we got done about like mm, I don't know about midnight, one o'clock on on Friday night, or I may actually was think it was Saturday night. And we were trying to figure out what we should do next. And we didn't really have a place to stay cause well, we didn't really plan ahead. And so we also had a lot of energy and we were kind of young and dumb. And so we're like, you know what? Let's drive home, no problem. And it was supposed to be, you know, I think it's a 16 hour trip. And in the end we made it in about 13, but that's, we won't talk about the, all of those details. <laughs> But the, the detail that's important is as we were rolling through Utah, going north on I-15, I realized that I'm running, starting to run low on gas. And if you know anything about I-15 in Utah, where it meets I-70, there is nothing there. Literally, I-70 ends, and I-15 goes north and south. And it's, when you think like these are two interstates, there should be like a town here or something. Nothing. Nothing there is a ramp to go north and a ramp to go south or a ramp to go east when you're at that point to go east on I-70. And I'm starting to sweat it because I know we've been running not just on the, the light being on, but we've been running on E for a good little while. And as you noted earlier, at a pace that was probably consuming more gas than probably it needed to. So here we are and we're pulling on to I-70 and I have no idea where the next gas station is. And I'm driving along and eventually I see okay there's an exit in a couple miles and the, I feel the car go <clears throat> and it jerks. Like, uh oh. But it, it's still going. And, and I keep I keep the you know foot on the gas and we keep going and, and you know, okay, fine a mile and a half, yep, we're still making it and it kinda of does one of these again and get to about a mile and, and somewhere inside a mile, I realize that I have my foot on the gas and it is doing nothing. And so I throw the car into neutral. And at this point, I was a little grateful that we were going faster than we should have been because we're cruising still, we're coasting. And we're getting to, you know, we're getting to the half mile, okay, good. Getting to a quarter mile. Fortunately, for some reason, this part of I-70 doesn't have a whole lot of uphill. We were able to keep going and, and I see it. I see the exit ramp coming off on the right side. And I'm like, oh, we might make it. We might actually make it. And so we get there, we get to the end of the exit ramp. Fortunately, it's a downhill exit ramp. And so we start going down the hill and I'm like, yes, the gas station. It's right there. Oh no, it's on the other side of the street, okay? And I get to the bottom and there's a stop sign and I'm like trying to do one of these, look ahead, and I just coast right through the stop sign because I know I got no gas left in the tank and I got over here and I I have to pull left across traffic and so I have to brake just for a moment so this car could go by and then I cruise and I kind of get caught right on the lip, you know, that little ramp going up into the parking lot for the, the gas station. And I'm like, winning, winning, we made it. You know, we had to give it a little push up to, the, up to the pump, but I was so grateful to have made it. And, and here's the reality. I have no idea what I would have done if that gas station hadn't been there. We have no idea what I've done if I, was, if I hadn't had enough speed to coast. I would have no idea what I would have done if we hadn't actually gotten there. I mean, obviously, I would have gotten out and I would have walked, Right? But part of why I'm telling you this story is because we know you got to have that gas in the tank in order to get to where you need to go, in order to do what you need to do, right? And with this challenge, I'm going to just say to you, you need to be filling up over and over and over again. And actually, this isn't just true for this 40-day challenge. This is true for our lives. We've got to be refilled over and over and over again if we're going to live the life that God has called us to live. Before we can do anything of of meaning and substance, anything that's good, we have gotta be filled in our soul with what God intends for us to have. And if we don't continue to refill, then we're gonna just try to do it on our own, on our own strength, on our own power. We're gonna end up finding ourselves coasting, and eventually we're gonna run out, and we're gonna just fall down flat. And so today, being is all about that refilling. And so we're going to jump in to Luke chapter 10 and consider how we can be filled. How we can continue, not just for today, but each day along the way of our lives, be refilled so that we can live the full lives that God has intended for us. And so we're going to read from Luke chapter 10. If you want to follow along on the screen, you can. Uh, but hear, hear this uh, story from, from Jesus' life in his ministry. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. And let's pray as we move into God's word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time and this place. We thank you that you knew we'd be here. You knew we'd be here to hear from you, and so we invite your spirit to be the one speaking to us, that the red letters of Jesus, the truth would take root in our lives, that we could be filled that we could be filled with your presence, and that we could go, with being just from overflowing. Lord, we, we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So this is a, a familiar story to many, it's a, pretty, it's a classic story, so much packed into these few verses. I mean, what we find in this is that Jesus and his disciples, so he's got, got his disciples with him, they're traveling along their way. He's been traveling a around, he's teaching, he's, he's doing miracles, he's casting out demons, and he comes to this village where Martha has a house, and apparently she's she's well-to-do. We don't know if she has a spouse. We don't know if really Mary lives with her, but she opens her home to Jesus, and probably realistically to all of Jesus's disciples, his whole entourage. And opening her home is this incredible act of hospitality, welcoming in the stranger, and to seek to make them, make Jesus and his disciples, his companions, comfortable. And yet, as you saw in the story, things escalate quickly, don't they? Because Martha is running around. She's doing all the things, trying to make it all happen, and yet Mary's just kind of hanging out with Jesus, and so Martha wants a little bit of help, which, I mean, we get that. It's understandable, right? And so she goes to Jesus. Love that. Classic passive-aggressive sibling rivalry. Good. Goes to Jesus. Lord, don't, don't you care? It's like, Whoa coming out hot against Jesus. Don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work all alone, all by myself? Tell her. Tell her to help me. The way even that she's phrased it, we can see it somewhat in English, but it's so clear in the Greek that she expected Jesus to be on her side. There's no doubt in her mind what Jesus is going to say, and she's probably got a little bit of a a, a sick grin on her face thinking, yeah, Mary's going to get it finally. But she does not get the answer that she is expecting, does she? As Jesus gives that Martha, Martha. And every time I read that, I can't help but to think of the Brady Bunch. For those, who, Martha, Martha, Martha. But that's, it's Marcia. never mind. But in this moment, Jesus has got this, this it's clearly, it's not just a response for her. There, there's a tenderness toward her. There, there's a compassion for her. there's this moving toward her with this kind of almost sadness, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Indeed, actually, only one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen what is better. And And I don't know, we don't really get Martha's response in this, do we? But I can imagine kind of how Martha was feeling in the moment, probably a little punch in the gut. Like, wait a second, you were supposed to be on my team. Wait, and and you're telling me that, basically, you're not gonna tell her to help, so I still have to do this all on my own. Like, what a raw deal. You know, and we get that. We, we'd expect, to, we'd want a little help in that kind of moment, wouldn't it be? would be nice. But Luke wants to note very clearly in this, as he's telling this story, and he's telling, sharing us the, the words and the ministry of Jesus he notes that Martha was distracted. Did you see that? Distracted. And actually, literally, that word meant she, she is pulled. She's being pulled or dragged all around. That's what literally the word means in the original language. So these preparations that she's doing, this serving that she's doing to try to be hospitable, to try to make Jesus and his, his companions comfortable, is pulling her, dragging her all over the place. I mean, you can, you can picture it too, can't you? I mean, you can just picture it. One moment, she's going to tend the fire for the oven. And the next moment, she's, she's over here and she's working and kneading the dough. And in the next moment, she's chopping up vegetables for the soup. And then she's going, Did everybody have a drink? You're comfortable? Good, can I get you a pillow? Do you need anything? Right, she's running around and you can almost feel this thing, that thing, this thing, that thing is pulling her from here to there, here to there, all these details. But it's not just that she's getting pulled by these, these things, these preparations that are the problem. You know, because it's not actually the preparations that are the issue. It's not the things that she's trying to do to serve. It's the fact that she's distracted, and that begs the question then, what is she distracted from? She's distracted from Jesus. It's as simple as that. She's distracted from being with him as Mary, sitting at his feet, being with him. She's distracted from being with Jesus. That's what he came into her house for, was to be with her. And we might think, well, but isn't all of this preparation for Jesus? Isn't everything she's doing to try to make him feel comfortable and him feel good and his companions, his disciples? and, and, And yet Jesus, he's not condemning those preparations. He's not even condemning the distractions. He actually, when we get to the actual words of Jesus, he says, it's you're worried and upset about many things, about many things. He's not condemning her for getting distracted by, you know, the, the fire that needs to be tended to. He's not upset with her for getting distracted by something shiny that happened. You know, I, that's my, more me, you know, that I used to be accused in college. We'd be going, you know, walking from the dorm to the, you know, to where we'd go and eat, and suddenly something would happen, and my roommate would say, oh, he got distracted by shiny things again, and it's just the way it was. You know, it, Jesus is not condemning her for simply getting distracted. We all get distracted by stuff. It's really, he's more concerned with the fact that her obsession with the hospitality and her desire to host well is, is causing worry within her. Because this worry, it's not just the distraction of things to do. There's worry that's driving this compulsive behavior within her, this worry that she's got a role to play. She's got things that she has to do. And if she doesn't do them, then somehow her identity is being threatened. So she's, it's really Jesus is addressing the fact that she has this underlying worry that's driving her. It's a matter of her focus. right? Because if you think about getting ready to have people at your house, you know, you've got people coming over, and what are you going to do to get ready? I mean, are you going to leave the sink full of the dirty dishes? Are you going to leave the dirty laundry all over the couch? You know, are you going to leave the diaper pail full of dirty diapers right there in the living room? I am probably not, right? I mean, most of us. Like, we might at least do that. And, and But the question is, why would we do something about it? And I think that's what Jesus is getting at. Why would she go about doing all these preparations? Why would we go about getting our houses ready in whatever manner we get them ready to? Because sometimes we can move from doing things that that are about the comfort of our guests, concern for them, wanting them to feel at home, feel, feel valued, feel worthy. And we can move from that motivation and worry to really, I'm actually less worried about you and I'm more worried about me. I'm worried about how you're going to think of me if you see that I I haven't actually got everything together the way I want to. I'm worried what you're going to think of me if you realize that, you know what, yeah, those dirty dishes, yeah, those aren't even from yesterday. I'm worried what you're going to think of me and the image that I'm trying to portray to you if, in fact, I haven't gotten all of the dust bunnies that are out of all the corners of, on the floor, right? It's about the focus. Jesus is is more concerned that her worry isn't about Jesus because if her worry was about Jesus, she would be paying attention to what he was hoping to have happen in this moment. She would pay attention to what he desired their interaction to look like. If she was really focused on his comfort and his agenda, then she wouldn't be running around like a chicken with her head cut off, she'd be sitting there like Mary because that's what Jesus wanted. Her guest wanted that. But it wasn't about her guest. It was about her. It was about her image that she wanted to portray. It was about her image that she wanted to make sure that Jesus, she was trying to impress him and the disciples and make sure that everybody saw that she is the perfect hostess. Now Mary, on the other hand, is not distracted by this at all, is she? She is not having these kind of worries go through her. She, she is not in, in any way trying to impress Jesus and prove, you know, prove to anybody else that she's got it all put together. As a matter of fact, I think she probably has a pretty good sense of her own need, her neediness. She probably has a pretty good sense that she doesn't actually have much to offer Jesus. That Jesus has a whole lot to offer her. She's sitting there at the feet of Jesus and in this day, in this time, that was the posture of a man, not a woman. She had no business being there. The other disciples were probably gathered around Jesus, probably sitting at his feet. You know, this, in this culture at this time, men and women were separated, different parts of the houses, different parts, different responsibilities. Mary had no business being there, she was supposed to be with Martha helping, so we can understand why Martha had the expectations that she had. But it's not just the posture of a man, it was actually even the posture, as I noted, of a, of a learner, of a disciple. Jesus' other disciples were probably there, sitting at the feet of Jesus. And what does that mean? What's that, what does a disciple, what does it mean when a disciple is sitting at the feet of Jesus. You know, when, when I discuss baptism with baptism families or when somebody's getting baptized, they, they respond with these questions of faith. And they make their profession of faith in Jesus and then, then we actually do the baptism based on that profession of faith. And one of the questions is, will you be a faithful, a faithful disciple? You know, obeying Jesus' word and showing his love. Will you be a faithful disciple? And, and so what does that word mean? Because disciple is a very churchy word. Think about this. Where in your life have you ever used the word disciple that's not in a church? Very few other places. There are some, but they're pretty few and far between. So what does it actually mean? What does it actually mean to be a disciple? A good word that, that you can put in there as, as a substitute, or actually as a synonym is even better, is an apprentice. And so I use this example all the time. when think of a plumbing apprentice. What does a plumbing apprentice do? I mean, get up really early, like obscenely early, starts there. Make sure that there is always hot coffee whenever that's requested, right? But then they're learning. An apprentice is one who's learning from a master plumber, right? They follow him around. They learn how to plumb. They learn the way that 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 plumber does it, They watch them. They probably get eventually allowed to actually try to do some of the things that they're being taught. So that ultimately, as they grow and learn over time, they learn to actually do it themselves. And so when the disciples are gathered at Jesus' feet, they've been following him around. They've literally been walking around in in Galilee and Judea and, and Samaria. They've been hearing him teach They've been watching him serve and cast out demons. They've been watching him perform miracles and preach, watching him love those who are outcast and marginalized, watching him serve those who nobody else would dare serve. And All of this so that they could someday take up the mantle, that they could learn to do it his way. To do it like him, could learn eventually to be those who would go and preach and serve and cast out demons and do miracles and love those who are unloved by everybody else and serve those who nobody else would serve. This is what the disciples were doing at the feet of the rabbi, Jesus. And Mary had the audacity to think that this included her, to act like it included her, that she could fit, sit at the feet of Jesus like a disciple to learn from him and ultimately someday be like him to be one who could go and teach and preach and cast out and do miracles and love the unlovable and serve the unservable. That she had the audacity. Oh, and Jesus agreed. And Jesus in this moment broke down a ton of barriers. A ton of cultural norms and expectations. But Mary was so aware. Remember, she had nothing to offer Jesus when he came into this house. Instead, she knew she needed him, needed him to fill her, needed him to give her an identity, needed him to affirm that, yes, you, a woman, can go and be a disciple, can be one who preaches and teaches and casts out demons. Yes, she knew that she needed him to give her worth and security. She needed everything from him, and how was she gonna get it? She was gonna be at his feet, to be with him, to receive from him because otherwise she had nothing to offer. Richard Foster is a a pastor and an author. He wrote a book called The Celebration of Discipline, and and right at the beginning of this book, he tells the story of how he was fresh out of seminary, ready to totally conquer the world. He he was receiving this call to his first church, and he was ready. I mean, he shares this. He was going to show the world what he could do, and so he comes out, you know, he comes out ready to go, but getting a you know, little cold water put on him by the former pastor as, you know, takes him, takes him aside, puts his arm around him, puts his hand on his shoulder and says, well, it's your turn to be in the desert. And he's kind of put off by this and like, wow, whatever. Actually, probably even fueled him a little more. He's like, okay, it was a desert for you, but not for me. I'm going to take this thing by storm and there's going to be flood of people coming into this church. He says, they're literally going to flood in and he shares after three months He gave everything he had to give. He told them everything he knew to tell them. And nothing happened. And on top of nothing happening, he reports he had nothing left to give. He was spiritually bankrupt. And he knew it. His problem, in his own words, was that what I did say had no power to help people. I had no substance, no depth, the people were starving for a word from God, and I had nothing to give them, nothing. He had nothing to give them. The only way he, he learned that he could have something was if he connected deeply with Jesus. He learned he needed to learn to be with Jesus day in, day out, moment by moment. He learned that he needed to be refilled at the feet of Jesus, just as Mary had been filled at the feet of Jesus. He knew that he had to deepen a relationship with Jesus far more than he ever could have imagined, and it led him into what are known as the spiritual disciplines. These these practices over over centuries at this point that followers of Jesus over all of these years have been able to utilize these gifts of God given to us to allow us to come near to him, to learn, to know Jesus more deeply, to learn from him, to sit at his feet even though we know that he went on to die, rise again, and, and he ascended into heaven. But his spirit draws us, the Holy Spirit, as we talked about, last week, draws us to Jesus, allows us to bond deeply with him, to be known by him, and to know him. And so these practices, like reading your Bible, you know, reading the Bible is not just like uh, reading a textbook. It's not like, hey, go learn a whole bunch of stuff because there's a test when you get to heaven, and if you fail, sorry, it's gonna get ugly. And that's not what this is about. It's about hearing from God, speaking into the reality of our lives and speaking into the reality of all of history because we get a a much bigger perspective of God as we read the words of Scripture. It's about prayer. Prayer as this means of deep connection and relationship formation, of bonding with him, just like it, it can be conversational, just as you have conversation with other people in your life. It's about connecting deeply. It's about seeing, seeing him in nature. I mean, yeah, okay, I'm with Amanda. I was ready to move on from snow, but man, when I see it come down, is there not something beautiful and glorious, something peaceful about the way a snowflake falls through the air gently and then hits the ground? Does it not tell us something about the beauty of the creator? Does it not tell us something about his power and his majesty and his glory? And so we, we draw nearer to him, even as he shows himself in nature. We draw near to him in song, in worship, as we do that when we gather here together, but we do that, you can do that anywhere, anytime, especially for those of you who are like, yeah, I don't sing out because I don't want anybody to hear me. In your car, Jesus is the only one who can hear you. Keep your windows up. Right? There's all these ways for us to come near to Jesus, to be with him, to sit at his feet, to let him fill us That's what these these challenge practices are about. It's It's what Richard Foster learned. He desperately needed new rhythms and patterns in his life so that just like gas stations are every so often and we need to be filled up, he knew he needed to be filled up over and over and over again with the presence of Jesus in his life or he had nothing left to give. That's the invitation for us in this being is to be with, Jesus. But man, we're distracted by a few things, aren't we? We can relate to Martha in a a whole lot of ways because we're distracted by a whole lot of things. And it's not just hospitality. We're distracted by our schedules that are out of control. Guilty. Right? We're distracted by upward mobility. We're distracted by trying to just make it through and get security. We're distracted by, if I don't do this, then this won't happen, and then that won't happen, and then that won't happen, and so I better make sure I do that. Oh, wait, that's not enough. And can you see how quickly, it's not just we're distracted. It's not just like, hey, there's so many great things that we're doing. Can you see how Jesus might be saying you're worried and upset about many things? Because when we look at the way we, we prioritize our lives, Why do we do it? Why do we live the pace that we live at? Why do we make the choices that we make? Is it because we're worried and upset? Maybe. That's my concern for me. I think it's something that gets exposed for us in these being practices. Because what a waste of time. Right? What a total unproductive waste of time because I've got stuff to do, don't you? And so this thought of sitting around and praying a lot and singing and it just seems like a total waste, doesn't it? I mean, for you, the the first five days of this challenge may have seemed like a waste because you were promised that it was gonna be daily readings and then a daily challenge, something for you to do and put into place. And uh uh-oh, the first five days of the challenge were just introduction. It was only something to read, nothing to do. (laughs) Because we're so obsessed with doing. Because we've bought into the lie that unless we do X, Y, Z, and your X, Y, Z is different than somebody else's, but unless we do X, Y, Z, then suddenly our lives are not what they were supposed to be. Just as Martha has an image that she needs to live into, we've got an image of our own lives, of what does success look like? What does happiness look like? What does the good life look like? And if we don't do X, Y, Z, we're not going to have that. And Jesus is saying, Man, you're distracted, worried, and upset by many things. Few things are needed. Actually, you know what? Only one. To be with me. To be with me and let me fill all of those places of worry, of need, of despair, of ambition. Be with me and allow me to guide your steps. Be with me, allow me to fill you with a new strength, energy, and power so that when you go do something, you have something of real significance and value to offer. Before you step into the doing parts of this challenge, be deeply with Jesus. Be with him in a way perhaps you never have before so that when you go out and you do something, you forgive, you serve, you give, you go, that you'll have something of significance to give and that significance is gonna be Jesus. Him in you and through you so that the world can see it. I'm just gonna encourage you we all don't have time, do we? We don't have time, or do we? I think it's the question for us, is how will we spend our time? And, and I understand that, that if you haven't really carved out time to be with Jesus in, in your life, that the, the thought of spending an hour or two hours or seven hours or whatever it is with Jesus is just like, overwhelming, and you're like, I've no idea how I'm going to do that. It's okay, don't do that unless he leads you into it. Start right where you are. Start Start with just 15 minutes in a day. Start with that reading from the red letter challenge, you know, inviting him in prayer to be with you, and then do what the challenge says, and see how then he'll lead you into the next steps, how he will fill you, how he will satisfy you, how he will lead you, how he will grow you. And here's the crazy thing. That I was re- Adele Calhoun has written another book on spiritual disciplines, and she was talking about this reality of time. And she said, even small moments spent with God matter and eventually add up. If you spent 15 minutes with God every day for a year, at the end of the year, you would have logged over 11 eight-hour days. If you spent a half hour with God every day for a year, at the end of the year, you would have logged over a month of eight-hour days. If 15 minutes is too much, five minutes a day is over three and a half, eight hour days. Those little bits of time to be at the feet of Jesus, to allow him to connect, for you to connect with him, for him to fill you, for him to give you himself, it adds up. And Jesus tells tells Martha, Mary's chosen the better and it will not be taken away. Mary's chosen the only way to have a secure identity, the only way to be filled with hope, the only way to be given meaning and purpose, the only way to have strength and power for today, the only way is to be with Jesus. And that will never be taken away from her that's weird because jesus is on his way to jerusalem and he's about to die and he's leaving how can he say it how can he say that because her identity is she grounds that deeply in jesus him as the source of her hope her power her meaning her joy Him as the one that gives her peace in the midst of trial and frustration and heartache and pain. Him as the source of her forgiveness when she fails over and over and over again. None of that can be taken away. As a matter of fact, it's because he went and died on that cross that it could not be taken away because it was no longer up to her to perfectly put together life and perfectly do all the things that needed to be done It was no longer up to her to be the perfect person. Jesus had already, in his perfection, lived the only perfect life and then he gave it up for her. So that the gift that could be offered to her is her identity in him, her hope, her peace, her meaning, her security, her joy, her love, her peace, all of these things are a gift now that can never be taken away because they were purchased with the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Which means that as we come, to be with Jesus, to choose what is better, it can never be taken away from you either. Let us be with Jesus more deeply than we ever have before we go out and do anything for Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for for the gift of Jesus for his perfect life. We thank you for his compassion with us as we continue to be distracted and upset and worried over many things. Thank you for the invitation to come, Jesus, to, to you, to the only one that we need that is enough, more than enough, to fulfill us, to satisfy us, to sustain us, Lord God, as we take the the risk of trying some new things together, trying these new practices, living into these challenges, Holy Spirit, will you be on fire within us? May you allow us to be brought intimately close with Jesus. May you fill us with his presence that we can know in our being that we are yours and you are ours. In Jesus' name, amen.